0: morning. Um, a couple weeks ago, well a little bit before that actually, I was having some neck problems which I have occasionally off and on and I've been doctoring for it for years but it was pretty progressive and um, I wasn't sleeping well. I was probably grumpy. I'm sure if you asked my husband I was probably grumpy and that Sunday right at the end of church um, Johnny had suggested that I go get prayer and I just kind of passed it off. Um, It wasn't that I didn't have faith at all. It's just that in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, this is really minor and I don't wanna take someone else's spot for a miracle. I mean, seriously, that's kind of what I was thinking. And so I just went out, I went up and got, I didn't say anything to him. I just went up and got Lily from junior church and I came back down and I was met in the entryway by Larry and Evelyn. And he said, um, I can't remember the exact words, but he said, you need some prayer. And I kind of looked at him and he said, well, Johnny said that you had, you know, you had, okay. So he he and Evelyn both laid hands on me and they um, prayed for me in the entryway. And Evelyn even gave me a prophetic word that I'm still working on. Um, And then we went about our day. I came in here, we took my um, son and his wife and Lily out to eat afterwards. And I didn't really think anything else of it. And we're sitting there eating and um, having great conversation. And it was almost like, I, I put this in teacher mode, so like when the kids aren't paying attention, you know, I might not say their name, but I'll go up and put my hand on their shoulder like, you know, they know that they need to pay attention to me. That's kind of how it was. Like we're sitting there eating, talking, and then all of a sudden I was like, oh. And I looked around and I, I looked at Johnny and I said, I have no pain in my neck. Like it just hit me that I had no pain in my neck. <laughs> so God was definitely tapping on my shoulder. Um, so out of this, this is what I've gotten. Um, there's no, there's no small need. There's no large need. There's a need. And it was definitely wrong of me to, to think that I wasn't important enough to God for him to heal a minor need. But it was so um, profound that my littlest need is just as important to him as anyone's largest need. And as I was coming into church this morning, the radio was down low, we always listen to K-Love on the way in, but it was down pretty low, and I looked at the title of the song and it said, Million Little Miracles. So as I turned it, I turned it up, as we came in the parking lot and I was listening, and I, I think this is what I'm supposed to say because this is what I heard. I heard that all of the millions of miracles that happen in our life every day are not coincidences, they're from above. So don't think that your little miracle can't happen. It can, and I praise Him for that.
1: Amen. Amen. I want to remind you too, as we talk about miracles and signs, wonders, healings, all those things, we're talking about them because it's all in the Bible. You know, I, I know in our culture sometimes we're deemed not real sophisticated or educated or wise if we want to talk about the demonic or we want to talk about signs, wonders, or miracles. I mean, after all, we have science and we have medicine and we have all that, which I'm very thankful for. But we still have a God who performs the things that he always has and he hasn't stopped doing those things. And and there's there. I've ran across this, kind of like what Dee said, where people think, and I get it, it's very loving, it's very kind, it's just not necessary. Uh, I remember one time my grandmother was struggling with the heart issue and I walked into the living room and I said, can I pray for you? And she said, no, there's other people who could use a miracle more than me. And so I told her, I said, that would be fine if God only had one. You know, if God, if, I mean, seriously, if it was, do, do you get, do we, does God heal these neck or save a baby in Riley? We would all say, well, okay, we'll go for the baby. But I want you to notice, God's not limited. God isn't like, I only got one, what am I going to do with it here? He's unlimited in his capacity and so don't ever be afraid, no matter how big it is or small it is, to ask the Lord. And we don't need to compare, you know, who got the bigger one, who got the less miracle. And sometimes I've had people get frustrated because they're believing for something big. And uh, somebody gets up and testified their neck got better. Well, my goodness, I'm believing something for bigger than that. Or I say, hey, you know, I sprained my ankle and it feels better today. Now, do we all understand sprained ankle is not a huge, huge thing in the overall scheme of things, but... It's not that God only has one miracle. So go ahead and ask and go ahead and believe. We're on the topic of miracles, and I want to remind you as we talk about these things, God's Word is designed to encourage. God's Word is designed to equip. God's Word is designed to instruct us so that we can grow together. Because when we talk about things, all of us, I get it, every single one of us here prayed for things that didn't turn out the way we wanted them to. Every one of us have prayed for things where we didn't get what we thought we were supposed to get. And we could really get discouraged when we start hearing teachings like this and go, well, what's wrong with me? You know, why didn't I get or why did they get and I didn't get and this and that. We can start getting all these doubts and all this confusion. We can start feeling awful about ourselves, but I want to remind you the disciples failed repeatedly in the scriptures and they just kept moving forward. I want to remind you that God never says anywhere in scripture, just quit, just give up. The word of God actually is designed it has a point where it corrects and rebukes even. And so we go, well, I don't like that. But the, the wounds of a friend, the wounds of a friend are healing. You know, versus, uh, who wants the flattery of an enemy? You know, let, let God speak truth to us. So the disciples, they never got a spirit of let's quit and give up. They just kept moving forward and kept trying and kept moving forward. And Jesus, there's a whole parable designed around this in, in Luke the 18th chapter It starts out, your Bible probably calls it the parable of the persistent widow or the parable of the unjust judge. Usually that's one of the couple titles that will give it. And it says, Jesus taught them this parable to show them. I love it because don't you love it when you just know what it's all about before you even get to it? To show them that they should always pray and never quit. They should always pray and never give up. And so let the word of God encourage you, not discourage you. Let the word of God encourage you. If you need correction or you need rebuke, okay, just take it. You know, take it and let's keep growing in the Lord and keep moving forward in the Lord. So we ought to always pray and never give up, which reminded me of a testimony I heard just recently. These, this husband and wife team in ministry, and they have pretty big ministry and they travel a lot and share. The mother was telling that she had a, a son that just had trouble in school uh, he was, you know, fighting, he would cause problems, he would cause difficulties. And she just, all, he was a troubled kid out of all of them they had. And any time the school called, she was just like immediately apologizing, you know, for, I don't know what he did, but what was it. And he, he had told her that he had a bump or something underneath her, his tongue. But he said she, he only talked about that when it was time to do his homework or time to go to bed. So she didn't take it real seriously. And she takes the kids to the dentist for their cleaning and checkup. And the dentist comes out and calls her in and says, Your son has a tumor under his tongue. How did you miss this? Of course, she feels like, you know, the mother of the year, right? She feels horrible <laughs> because of this. And she said, She looks at this tumor. It's like the size of her thumb. And he said, This is a problem. This needs to be taken care of immediately. And she said, I agree. You know, do it and he said, I can't do it, it's gonna require an oral surgeon. Said it might might even require removing some of his tongue. This is a very aggressive tumor. It's not cancerous, but it's very, very aggressive. And so then she felt again like the mother of the year. Okay, this is great. And so she has to schedule an appointment and, and has to get blood work, you know how that goes. And on the way home, of course, the son's telling his the other brothers in there, remember me telling mom a hundred times she needed to look at my tongue, she needs to look at my tongue, and then dad comes home from a ministry trip and said, I had a bump under my tongue, but Mom wouldn't deal with it. And so she's feeling worse and worse and worse. And so after all this, obviously they're not opposed to medicine and doctors because they were going to do an oral s- surgery. And uh, the dad said, you know what? said, we need to pray. Now, let's not forget, we should always pray and not give up. We need to pray. We need to be people of prayer. And so uh, he, she said, yeah, that's right, let's pray. Let's pray. Let's be people of prayer. Nothing wrong with doctors or anything. We want to not forget prayer. And so what ended up happening was the father said, hey, I'm one of the elders in the church, so uh, the Bible says if there's any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church, and they'll anoint him with oil, and prayer of faith will save the sick, the Lord will raise them up. And so what ended up happening was he walks out into the hallway and shuts the door, and he said, now, son, call for me. And of course, everybody thought that was a little funny, but he said, uh, dad? And so he walks in the room, yes, son, what do you want? He wants to be very specific. So he gets prayer, anoints with oil, prays over him, commands that thing to be gone, and And, you know, all the stuff you would pray. And so when they were done, said, amen, in Jesus' name. They looked under his tongue, and it was still there. And they went, okay, well, you know, maybe tonight while he sleeps, we'll wake up in the morning, and it will be gone. And so they wake up in the morning, guess what? It's still there. And so she schedules blood work for him. It's towards the end of the school day. She goes to pick him up from class. Now, remember, he's not, he doesn't like, he actually said this to his mom. He said, I don't believe in teachers, so I'm not going to learn anything. And he said, there's a girl in my class that don't believe in doctors. I don't believe in teachers. And so this guy, just, this little guy decides he's not going to learn. So she goes to pick him up from his class, and the teacher comes out and says, man, we cannot be removing this kid from class. He needs every second of every day learning. So you can't just be pulling him out for anything. And she said, we're not pulling him out for anything. He said, Alex, show, him your, show her your tongue. And he lifts up his tongue, and it's gone, gone, gone. She's going to prove her point. This is not a... Frivolous reason I'm picking him up, because look, uh, nothing there under the tongue. God's still a healer. He's still in the healing business. He's still in the miracle business. And we need not forget that. I think we can get like, sometimes like too sophisticated or something, or think we're too smart or too educated. We don't need God anymore. We have all this. You know what? You, you, you can say that think that and believe that, but I'll tell you, if a doctor says you have a problem, we have no answer for you, you'll be wanting to tap the miraculous power of God. So we ought to learn to practice that all the time in our lives. So remember, we should always pray. Don't forget to pray and never give up. See, God's always about the business of, of healing. When God created the the earth, if you remember this, it was perfect. There was not a problem. There was no sickness, no disease, no injury, no no infirmities, no anything. It was perfect. And then the world fell apart with the sin of Adam and Eve. The world fell, it got broken. And then you know what? The Bible says that even though this world's broken, have you noticed that everything still wants to be healed? Amen. Have you noticed that? I don't care if it's a plant, an animal, or your human body. It will want to have wholeness. You get a cut on your arm, it tries to heal. You get a sickness or disease, it tries to heal. Everything tries to heal. God is in the healing business. And so it's, it all, we don't care how you get it. I want to say this. I want to be healthy, I want you to be healthy. I don't care how it is. I don't care if it's at the skilled hands of doctors. I don't care if you changed the way you eat and live and lifestyle and exercise and it made you healthy. I don't care if it's supernatural, which we all prefer, right? I'm sure that little boy preferred the supernatural healing versus oral surgery. But ultimately, God always wins. Now, you could say to me, well, Tracy, you, you told us on January 1st that your your brother, who you prayed for, that he passed away on January 1st. Where was was his healing? When was it? January 1st. That's when it was. Now, I know some people say, well, that's just a cop-out. I don't think that's a cop-out at all. I don't think it's a cop-out at all. He is absolutely healthy and whole beyond our comprehension. So God, for the believer, God always wins. I want us to remember that. God always wins. So I stole a couple words from Jesus entitled the message today with this. It's called, Just Believe. How many times was Jesus telling us, just believe, just believe, just believe, just believe? All the time, all throughout scripture. So we're going to follow Jesus for a short little while. Maybe it's a day or two. Do you realize they didn't move real fast in the Bible? Uh, Like when Jesus is doing stuff. By the way, Jesus never seems to get in a hurry. I think he's still like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you pray and it's like, come on, man. I prayed 45 minutes ago. Let's get moving here. Uh, he never seems to be in a big hurry. Even when he was healing that kid, that, the, that child who, who would convulse and stuff, he saw Jesus and that demon in him causing him to flop around on the ground like a fish out of water and start foaming in his mouth. You read the story, he's not in any hurry. He just has a conversation with the dad. Doesn't seem to be in any hurry. And so we see that in the life of Jesus as he operates with absolute authority over at least four areas that we're aware of in life, and he's Lord of all areas. So we'll pick up on this. We're not going to read the scriptures, but I'll tell you where you can find it. You can find this in Luke 8. All four of these miracles are in Luke 8. They're in Mark 4 and 5, if you need to look at uh, Mark. There's two chapters to cover it. And the first one is this. He, He calms the winds and the waves. Now, if you've never been to church before and you've never heard a Bible story ever, that's okay. We say, thank you for being here. We welcome you. You'll understand. We don't have to read it for you to get it. You'll get the story. Then you can go back later and read it. They're going across what we call the Sea of Galilee, or the Bible calls the Lake of Galilee, and they're heading across in the boat. Jesus is sleeping. If you remember the story, Uh, a squall comes up, a a storm just kind of hits them, and the disciples are worried they say oh my goodness you know don't you even care that we're going to die so they wake up jesus and jesus gets up and he speaks don't don't miss that that's always when you watch jesus he's speaking all the time he's speaking there's there's something powerful in speech which you even see in the creation of the world in genesis 1 and he speaks he talks to winds and waves he speaks to the winds and waves and says peace be still and they were calm And then they look and say, what manner of man is this that even the winds and waves obey him? What's up with that? So Jesus exercises authority over the natural realm. He exercises authority over the natural realm. How can he do that? Because he created the natural realm. So all of creation is subject to him. And he exercises his authority over the winds and the waves. So we see him speaking to things in creation like the fig tree and other times in scripture. But then he's on the journey, and he comes into a person that is filled with demons. And you may remember that story as well. It's interesting because when I read about Jesus dealing with the demoniac, I am totally at peace. If I had to deal with the demoniac, I would have a little more tension. W- wouldn't you? I mean, we, we read these things, and say that's cool, that's awesome. Uh, but what if somebody was up here on the stage, like Jesus, flip-flopping around, foaming at the mouth, you know, wouldn't... Wouldn't you have a little anxiety about that? I think most people would. And if you if you don't, that's fine. I knew some people in ministry they couldn't care less about that stuff. They'd just jump right into it. Maurice King's one of them, if you know Maurice King. You could need deliverance. He'd go in there like it was nothing. Didn't bother him at all. Some people are like that. So if you're here, I need to call on you at times. Okay, we need to use that gift. And so Jesus is ministering to this demoniac. He the. The demon-possessed man sees him, throws himself at Jesus' feet, says, uh, you know, Jesus, Son of God, you know, what do you want to do with me? Don't torment me. Don't send me into the abyss. There's all kinds of things. Jesus actually speaks to this demon, which was not his common process, but he did say, what's your name? And the demon said, my name is the Legion, for we are many. Now, in a Roman legion, that's three to 6,000 soldiers. So I don't know how many demons was in this guy, uh, by the way, if you don't notice, demons are liars too, so you never know what to believe. But there's apparently lots of demonic activity. They beg to be cast out to the pigs. They're cast out to the pigs. 2,000 pigs were in that herd. They all get these demons in them. Then they must not have liked them either because they ran over the hill, ran into the water, and drowned themselves. Well, that was real popular with the local pig farmer. And so actually, the community comes to Jesus and says, Hold it. It says they were fearful, and they said, We would like to ask you to leave. Now, they were happy that their demon-possessed uh, wild man of the town, you know, got dealt with, because the Bible says when they came there, they saw him dressed, because he ran around undressed all the time. He lived in holes and caves. They would chain him up even, and they couldn't hold him with chains. He would break the chains on his, on his legs and hands, and he, they couldn't contain this guy. No one was strong enough to contain him. They come out, and they find him clothed in his right mind. I'm sure they were happy with that. They didn't have to deal with that anymore, but they weren't so happy that their Pig Enterprise went down the the drain, and uh, they asked him to leave, and guess what? Jesus leaves. He gets in the boat and leaves. Always want to be inviting Jesus in, not be pushing him away. Always invite him in. Always invite him. You can hang out here. You might have killed our pigs. That's okay. You can keep hanging out here. You might have dealt with some things the way I didn't like how you dealt with them, but you're always good, and you're always right. And so we follow him along, and then the second two kind of collide together. There, he heals a physical sickness, and he raises a girl from the dead. Now, what happens is, well, let's, let's read the, this verse here. In Mark 5, 23 and 24, he, Jairus, pleaded earnestly with him, Jesus, my little daughter's dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. It's implied that he's going to go to the home, lay hands on the daughter, and heal her. Otherwise, he probably would have said no, or I can't, or here's why, or here's what's going to happen. But he goes with her. Now, the text does not say this. I'm just going to tell you what I know our hearts would be like if it was somebody we loved. They're on the journey to get to his house, and Jesus, once again, no hurry. Plus, the crowd's smashing in on him. And so he's walking along. You can read the story. It says the crowd's pressing on him, And while he's walking along, there's a lady with the issue of blood. She's had a problem with bleeding for 12 years. So she's got to be weak and sickly. The scripture says that she spent all of her money on all kinds of medical treatments, but none of them worked. All she ended up with in this situation, she is broke and sicker. And she says to herself, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. Jesus tends to meet people where our faith is. He's going to Jairus' house. He's not going to her house because she said, I just need to touch the hem of his garment. Jairus says, you need to come to my house lay hands on my daughter. When Jesus encounters a centurion, he says, you want me to go to your house and heal your servant? He said, there's no need. Just speak the word. He, 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 he deals with people. He will try to meet people where they're at. The father has no faith. He says, don't you have some faith that anything's possible to him who believes? The father says, I believe, help thou my unbelief. He meets it there. He meets them where they are at. And so he's walking along, the one with the issue of blood. I have to figure that, this is just in my mind, I have to figure she's probably crawling through the crowd. Two reasons why. It's one, I think she's ill. The second thing, the hem of his garment's down at the bottom. And so she, she's crawling through the crowd. She reaches up, she touches the hem of his garment. And man, when she touches the hem of his garment, you know what happens? She got healed. And Jesus stops, which again, I have to say, J.R.'s head to say, please quit stopping Quit dealing with all this stuff. I got a daughter who's hanging in the balance. She's barely alive by a thread. Can we get moving? He would have wanted a police escort, something. Let's get some soldiers around here to break the path, get to my house. But Jesus walked along and he stops. He goes, who touched me? And the disciples are like, look at everybody pressing against you. And you ask who touched you? You know, who didn't touch you? Everybody's pressing. He said, no, somebody touched me. And depending upon your translation, he says, because I felt virtue go out of me. I felt power go out of me. I felt anointing go out of me. He actually felt it released from his body. And the Bible says the woman, figuring she was going to get caught, you know, said, uh, comes up and says, I'm the one. And he has a conversation with her. He said, daughter, your faith has made you whole. Now, again, if I was J.R., I would say, we don't care who touched you. I promise you, let's get to my house deal with my daughter. I will come back and search the city streets to find who touched you, if you'll just keep moving. But Jesus doesn't keep moving. So what ends up happening? What ends up happening is Jairus is on the way, I assume frustrated. Text doesn't say it, but I know what I would be as a father. And then he hears the words he does not want to hear. People who've been tending to his daughter come and meet him and say, don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. Dead. The scripture says this. This is how the King James words it in Mark 5:36. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, as soon as he heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Don't be afraid, only believe. Don't be afraid. Only believe. Now, some translations say that Jesus paid those people no attention or ignored them, which is true. You don't seem having a conversation at all with those people who said, don't bother the teacher anymore, your daughter is dead. But he is dealing quickly with Jairus. The Darby translation reads like this, but he, immediately Jesus said to Jairus, fear not, just believe. Fear not, just believe. See, see words are powerful. Words affect you words affect me if you think you're odd because you hear bad news and you feel your your heart drop to your your knees you're not odd that's the way we are we hear bad news it affects us it presses against us it 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 weakens us and jesus is trying to deal with this i don't want you to get in that state now there's a beautiful place the psalmist says we can be at and maybe some of you are here i i have some room to grow in this so let's keep growing In Psalm 112, 7 through 8, it says this, they have no fear of bad news. Wow. They have no fear of bad news. Their hearts are steadfast. What's the next words? Trusting in the Lord. Their hearts are steadfast, trusting in the Lord. So then they say it again, their hearts are secure. They will have no fear. And I love the wrap-up of this sentence. In the end, they will look in triumph On their foes. When all the dust settles, when the last second clicks on the play clock, they will look in victory. They will have victory over their enemies, over their foes, and they will be victorious. So we probably have some area to grow in this where we can say, bad news comes my way, it doesn't affect me because my heart is secure trusting in the Lord. If that's the place we want to go to, that's the place we want to move to. Apparently it's very important that that Jairus keep his faith. Otherwise, I think Jesus would have said, I don't care what you do, Jairus. I'm going to your house to heal your daughter. But instead, he immediately says, don't doubt, just believe. He's got to keep Jairus' faith going there, his trust level, his hope level. Because I know Jesus didn't wane. I know when Jesus heard that word, he didn't say, well, it's done now. There's nothing we can do about that. Don't forget, Jesus raised Lazarus, which, by the way, no hurry to get there. What is up with him? No hurry to get there. He hears about in plenty of time to get there. He waits till, JR, or till Lazarus is four days dead. If you remember, I, I always liked the King James. He said, roll the stone away. And I think it's Martha said, don't roll the stone away, man. He said, he stinketh. That's a good King James. He stinketh. By now he stinketh. I mean, he's actually de- decomposing and decaying. He's four days dead. So Jesus isn't worried about a little girl that just died. He knows he can handle anything. He is life. And so this powerful news comes. Jesus says, stay on track here because somehow our faith plays into factoring into all this. And so I want to say, let's keep building our faith. Let's keep growing. Let's not get discouraged or defeated or give up and quit. Let's keep growing because we are taught by Jesus that we should always pray and never give up. We should always pray and never give up. We should just believe. So I want to share a couple examples here. These both have Darlene involved in them. There was a girl in Clarksville Hospital. Darlene's sister, Wilma, uh, was a hairdresser and did the hair of this little girl's mother. When I say little girl, why do you guess 10? She was probably 15. That's why I said 15. Uh, Like 15. I'm never good at guessing that stuff. Uh, She's so happy because I always think women are younger than they are. So all, all ladies are happy with that. So she was probably about 15. And so Wilma says, "Would you come pray with her, darling? I said, sure. And so they go pray with her. And they have a talk with the doctor. And the doctor said, "Is uh, a lady doctor, she said, this girl's. we don't even know what to do with her. This is the area we bring people with where we say we don't know what to do for them. They're on their way out. They, they're, they're about to die. And we're doing everything we know to do. They couldn't figure out really what was wrong with her and how to fix her. And they'd just gotten what I call goo, uh, the... Um, Duke University doctors had made a concoction of stuff with, with medicine and nutrients and stuff like that is being dripped into her system, especially designed for her, and said, she's not getting any better. And so Darlene said, you know what, said, we're going to pray because we believe God can heal her. And the, the lady doctor said, um, uh, I believe God can heal her too. But she said this, and I'm not being dismissive to her because I've said it, you've said it too. I know it can, but will he? She said, my husband's a Methodist minister, so I, I know God can do anything. But, and I get it from her perspective. We've done everything we know to do. We're out of options. We're even concocting goo to drip in her body, to try to bring health to her. And so Darlene and Wilma prayed for that girl. And a couple weeks later, she said, Tracy, would you go uh, with me to see the girl? And I said, sure. So she told me what condition she was in, which was not good, you know, comatose, sickly on the verge of death. It's impossible in the natural realm. We get there, and she's dead and gone. And so we get there, we walk in the door, and she's sitting up coloring in a coloring book. Wow, that's amazing. And there's another thing, I'm not saying this has any spiritual significance, but I think this is interesting. At that same season of time, Darlene had been having these dreams about horses. She'd been having dreams about horses and horses running wild, running in the field. And then a lady named Reva Casey was here. For a women's meeting and she said I just want to encourage people just give things to others share with others and she said I felt like the Lord wanted me to give uh, Darlene this brooch and you may not be able to see it but it's it's actually a horse and so she's been seeing these horses and then uh, Reva Casey gives her this brooch and when we go and she's coloring we look down and guess what she's coloring a horse you know, now you say, well, that's, it's not that unusual, to, a horse to be in a coloring book. But you do think there's a thousand things that could be in a coloring book. And she happens to be coloring a horse at that time. Now, this is just me. You can do it the way you want. I just felt it was kind of like God winking at Darlene. Hey, I got this. And, uh, and she was released from there. And Wilma called us and said um, she had just been at Hardee's, I and mean, this is years ago. She said, it's just at Hardee's. And I saw her mom and her having breakfast at Hardee's. Wow. God is still a healer he's still at that he's still in the healing business another time Darlene's gone to a conference and by the way if anybody needs prayer don't call me you know you know get a hold of Darlene uh, she's gone to a conference and she had a family member say hey we have a relative there a niece there and she tried to commit suicide and almost succeeded she's really in bad shape she's in a coma she's she's horrible and uh, if you're going to be nearby would you go pray with her? it just so happened that this niece and the conference in all the state of Florida are in the same city? And so Darlene goes, and no one knows who Darlene is. So she said it was really kind of awkward because they're like, who are you, and what do you want, and, and why are you here? And so she makes the family connection, and they say, okay. So she says it feels really tense. So she says very quiet and read Psalm 91 over her and prayed for her. But before she went, she really felt this in her heart. God's going to heal this girl. She felt that in her core. God's going to heal this girl. And so she goes and prays for her. I might have even prayed for her a second time while you were there. And Then she got, I don't know if you've ever had a conference friend. You know, you kind of hook up somebody at the conference and get to know them, and, and your friendship doesn't go past that, but you, you have a friend at the conference. And so that friend said, hey, after you're gone, and go back home. I live in the community. I'll go visit the, the gal. And, of course, she's on the edge of dying. And so the friend calls up Darlene and says, hey, here's the update. She's dying. They've called in all the family. She's a goner. And darling said, she felt that, you know, bad news. She felt that sinking. And she said, no. She said, no. If, if God really spoke that to me, that he was going to heal her, it doesn't matter if they, they call in the family all they want. If that was a word from the Lord, now we can miss God, but if that was a word from the Lord, then she's going to be okay. And two days later, she was released from the hospital. Well, isn't that amazing? God still heals God still does signs, wonders, and miracles. And, and I want us to, and I'll tell you what, they happen a whole lot more than what you realize. They happen a whole lot more than what you realize. See, around here in the United States of America, I'm serious about this. In that book, um, A Case for Miracles, there's a chapter in there that's worth the whole book. It's called Embarrassed by the Supernatural. And he talked about how he was embarrassed by supernatural encounters because he's an intellect. And most of the time, if you tell somebody you had something supernatural, the intellectual people then write you off as you're just a, you know, a, a nut. And so it's worth a book for that chapter. And sometimes there's miracles that go around us, but we only want to share it. Lee Strobel said he had a, a dream when he was a kid, but he hesitated sharing it with people because he knew that a big bunch of people would say, hey, you, you know, you're not a good scholar. You're not intelligent. You're, you're not a true Bible teacher. And he said he had a friend, very conservative, not raised charismatic or Pentecostal at all, that God would, would lay things on his heart. And so anytime he would share that, he said when he walked off the stage, there'd be half a dozen people coming up here and saying, yeah, you know, last person that acts murdered somebody told him God told him to do it too. And so that was the kind of response he would get from his intellectual buddies. And I remember turning on the radio one time, and a lady drove down the wrong way on the interstate, killed a couple people, and when they asked her why she did, she said... God told me to. So I get that happens out there. But there's a lot more miracles go around you of people who are unashamed to even talk about them because they're afraid of the embarrassment that it might cause. This one guy was a professor at at Baylor University. He was sharing about some miracles. And he said he was in the hospital one time and visiting somebody. And another couple, he was actually a pastor. And he came over and said, hey, I heard what you were talking. He was whispering. He said, we, our daughter was deathly ill. And we anointed her with oil and prayed for her, and God healed her. And then the other guy said, why are we whispering? I mean, shouldn't, shouldn't we be shouting about that? Well, we're whispering because we don't want anyone to know about that because they'll think we're kooks or we're not intelligent or we're not wise. And so there's all kinds of miracles. I wonder how many miracles go around that you don't even know about because people think I'm not going to share this because I share this. They'll just think we're a kook. No, God's still in the miracle healing business. He still does supernatural things. Our Christianity is supernatural. In fact, if you eliminate the supernatural from our Christianity, we don't have Christianity. There is no Christianity without the supernatural. Our whole faith is the belief that God clothed himself in a human body. That's miraculous and supernatural. And then he lived a sinless life, and he died the death we deserved, And he was put in a grave and he bore all of our sins on his body on the cross. And because he was sinless, death could not hold him and he rose from the dead. Folks, that's miraculous and supernatural. He rose from the dead. And then when we say, I believe that and have faith in that, God supernaturally takes our sins and replaces it with his righteousness. That's supernatural, that's miraculous. So if we take the miraculous and the supernatural out of Christianity, we don't have Christianity. We, we may have a, uh, a nice social club, but we don't have Christianity. Christianity is all based upon the supernatural. So if we get that far and say, I'm a believer, then let's just keep believing that God's still in the miraculous supernatural business. So I, I want us to do our part. Now, I want us to know God hasn't told us to quit. God hasn't told us to give up. God hasn't told us to quit believing. He tells us to keep praying and keep pressing in. And I I heard a minister say the other day, I thought, wow, that's a great insight. It's a story where Jesus is ministering on the Sabbath, and a lady who has been bent over for 18 years gets ministered to. Now, if you say, where is that in the Bible? That's in Luke 13, 10 through 17. And and again, don't don't mess with my fantasy that you're all like, okay, man, I've got to get that down. I've got to study this, pastor said that, and I'm going to be on top of this. So just that my fantasy is you're all logging that in, Luke 13, 10 through 17. There's this lady who's been bent over. And have you, have you been around the community before ever or somewhere and you see somebody, you know, walking like this? Now, does your heart not go out for them? Isn't there compassion that rises up inside you? And so she's been bent over, and she's bent over. And I suppose it was progressive. I don't know it does not say, but I suppose a little by little by little she was bent over. And the scripture says she could not straighten up. She had done everything she could, but could not straighten up. So Jesus is teaching in the synagogue and, and also it connects this physical ailment to the demonic. Please hear me. Not all physical ailments are demonic. I never see Jesus casting out a spirit of leprosy. It was a physical problem. The one with the issue of blood had a physical problem. The, the man's son had a spiritual problem. He cast out a, a deaf and dumb spirit out of that child. And you see him writhing and all that, so we see that was demonic. This gal has a demonic issue. And so he takes authority, I think King James says, over the spirit of infirmity, which we could interpret this as a demon of sickness. And she's all bent over, And when he ministers to her, she's able to straighten up. And guess what? The educated religious get angry at him. And they say, well, you have six days to heal. And the Sabbath is for rest. Now, the disciples learned this. We talked about this the other day. They had a question for Jesus. They waited till they got alone privately to ask him. Because they figured out if you ask something or say something to Jesus publicly, he will answer publicly. And so they said, you got six days to heal. You don't need to be healing on the Sabbath. And Jesus lovingly said, you hypocrites. Which of you, if your, if your ox or donkey fell into the ditch and was injured, would not go into that ditch and rescue that donkey? Which, by the way, the Jewish law permitted that. You could work on the Sabbath for an emergency reason. And so he said, which one of you would not go and rescue that? And said, should not this daughter of Abraham, she's a covenant girl, should not this daughter of Abraham, whom Satan hath bound, lo these 18 years be delivered from what has bound her. And the Bible says they shut up and were embarrassed. <laughs> it says they realized we ain't got no answer for that. So, she's delivered. Satan bound her. Interesting. Now, listen to this minister talk. And he said, all my life I've read that story and just thought, what an incredible, divine, amazing, miraculous healing that was when she was able to straighten up, and it was. But he saw an insight I never saw before. He said, you know, I saw saw another miracle. That's as big, if not bigger than that one. For 18 years, she kept showing up at the house of God. For 18 years, she had been at the synagogue for prayer. For 18 years, she had managed her way back home and come again to the house of God and go back home and come again to the house of God for 18 years, regardless of what was happening, regardless if she was getting worse, regardless if things didn't work out. You know, she had prayed, regardless as she was getting dressed for synagogue, going, I can't, it's another year of this. She still kept going. Maybe she had even lost all hope. I, I wouldn't blame her if she had, would you? 18 years, maybe she would even lost all hope. But she kept suiting up. She kept going to the house of God. She kept praying. She kept trusting. She kept loving a God whom she felt like was not coming through for her. But she had to have that same heart that Job had. Said, Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. His wife said, just curse God and die. No way, woman. If God slays me, I will continue to trust him and love him. And I, I said, look at that! That is a miracle yeah. to keep plowing through year after year, week after week, almost decade after decade, and keep coming to the house of God. But her day came. <laughs> her day came, and she was able to stand straight. So I started thinking, what, what should we do? And by do, I don't mean we can't earn anything. Man, this is so inbred, me, you, all of us. If I, if I just do this, then this will impress God and he will give me this. Or if, if maybe I do this or do that or do this, then God will reward me. with. I want to say this. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You, you, you are. I'm not asking that we don't keep growing in that righteousness because I think there's two things that go on, that we are instantly made the righteousness of God in Christ and then the rest of our lives we walk out that righteousness, we yield to that righteousness, we, we say yes to that righteousness, which changes our character and, and changes us, in our attitudes, and our lifestyle, but we're, er in Jesus, we are everything right now. I don't know what more I can add to that. Nothing. And so I'm not talking about working to earn something, but I'm talking about just allowing that faith of Christ to be developed out of us and through us, just getting to know him better, knowing that nothing is impossible with God. And so I thought, what we need to do is just grow in God. And so I thought, I was thinking about, what would our applications be for this week? And I thought, they need to be the same applications as last week. And by the way, you know, as preachers, we went, well, they need something new this week. We don't need no, something new sometimes. You ever notice how sometimes you get an application, the next week rolls by like that, and you say, I forgot what last week's was. So you get another week to practice on this. Doubt your doubts first. Man, God's not going to heal you. I doubt it. I believe he is. You're never going to make it. I doubt that. I'm going over the top. God's made me the head, not the tail. Man, you know what? God won't answer your prayer. Yes, he will. I doubt that. I say he is going to answer my prayer. Doubt your doubts first, not your faith. Start practicing doubting your doubts because I promise you my mind and your mind gets lots of doubts. Doubt the doubts, not your faith. Keep your head and heart filled with the word of God. Keep it filled with the word of God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God builds faith. And I'll tell you, words build faith. If you're filling yourself up with negativity and doubt and unbelief and, and sin and, and the, the philosophies of this culture and all that and of the world, then that's where your faith will lie. You need to put your faith in God's word, and God's word builds faith. So keep your head and heart filled with the word of God. And then the third thing, as I said last week, practice being a believer. There's two main things Christians are called around the globe. First of all, is Christians, and second of all, is believers. I like that name, Believer. So when you start to doubt, say, That's not I, I'm not called a doubter. I'm called a believer. So I'm going to start being a believer. Well, you think God can do that? I believe. I believe. I like what my buddy Larry Schreier told me one time. He said, if I tell you that rooster can pull a freight train, you better harness it up. And I said, now God could really say that. If God says that rooster can pull a freight train, we ought to say, Let's get the harness on that baby. We oughtn't to go, well, I don't know. If God says it, let's put our trust in it. And let's say, I'm going to be a believer. I'm going to practice believing.